glad you are here. My name is Rob. I serve as lead pastor here, and we are excited about what God has ahead of us for these next few months. And so I hope that you can be a part of that. I hope this feels like home to you and that we can grow together. And Jesus will do some <clears throat> really cool stuff in your life and through your life. Each year, we choose a theme for the year uh, to set a trajectory and a vision for the year, kind of a kind of a GPS for us as we travel on this road together. Um, speaking of GPS, this has nothing to do with the sermon, but I thought it was interesting, in case you didn't know, anybody use Waze for your GPS traveling? If you haven't, I'm not getting any money for this, but it's really helpful because it tells you where the construction sites are and stuff. But the really cool feature is that you can put different voices on it, including Cookie Monster. <laughs> and my wife and I, Leah, we were in Indy a couple weeks ago, and we discovered this feature on Waze, and so we put Cookie Monster on, and Cookie Monster was, was telling us how to get through Indianapolis, you know? Turn right at the next stop sign. And that was a horrible Cookie Monster, but it was like, yum, yum, yum. And, uh, but we forgot about it, and so we were, we were you know, engaged in conversation, and we had actually some Hillsong United on, and our, our conversation was, was real and, and deep, and we're driving down the interstate, and all of a sudden, Cookie Monster interrupts Hillsong United and says, construction on the right, yum, 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 yum. And so uh, just be aware that, that that feature is on ways, and so anyway, GPS for the year is uh, this theme that is reframing the house, and it has two parts to it. In the first part, Dallas Willard talks about the renovation of the heart. So the first part of reframing the house is actually the reframing work that God is doing in our lives. And this is what he says, the greatest need that you and I have, the greatest need of collective humanity is the renovation of our heart. That spiritual place within us from which outlook and choices and actions have been formed by a world away from God. Now it must be transformed. It's a revolution of character which proceeds by changing people from the inside through ongoing personal relationship to God in Christ and to one another. So there's this renovation of the heart. It's discipleship. It's sanctification. Sanctification being that Jesus is chipping away anything that doesn't look like us. It is submitting everything in our lives to his lordship. And that's a renovation project that each one of us is in. It's a deconstruction and a reconstruction process. What we believe determines how we live, but all of us come through these doors with some basic beliefs, some basic assumptions about God and basic assumptions about how life should go and how life works. And the process of discipleship isn't just learning new things. It's not just new information. It's not just being more astute at Bible study. The process of discipleship 
is not just learning new things, but it's actually unlearning things that take us and draw us away from the heart of Jesus. That is this deconstruction of our assumptions to get to the foundation, the essence of what is real. It's reframing our worldview, whether that worldview is humanistic or culturally Christian. It is reframing our theology, how we think about God and the purpose of life. It's reframing how we interpret our pain in our hardship. It, it is reframing everything in our lives so that all of it comes under Jesus and his, king, his kingdom. Sometimes this deconstruction process happens from the outside. It happens in class when your professor pulls the rug out from under you spiritually. It happens sometimes in your family I know through the years, there's been a number of students that have sat in this room where uh, their, their parents get divorced. Their family somehow kind of, their structure, this, this family structure that they've depended so much upon seems to be crumbling. Sometimes it happens, this deconstruction process, when we go through a personal tragedy or, or trauma or, or sickness or grief. Our world just gets rocked. Sometimes it happens when we find ourselves caught in, in cycles of, of sin or cycles of addiction or ethically or, or morally off base from what we know is right. Sometimes it happens when we read something in, in Scripture that conflicts with how we're actually thinking or acting. So sometimes deconstruction, this dismantling process, this stripping away of anything that doesn't look like Jesus, sometimes that happens just in the midst of being at the university. I think it happens throughout your life, but especially these four, five, or 17 years that you're here. But sometimes there is a, a deconstruction process that happens from the inside, and that is because Jesus absolutely loves you. George McDonald was C.S. Lewis's, one of C.S. Lewis's mentors. C.S. Lewis, author, writer, used to be atheist, became Christian. Narnia, you tracking with me? George McDonald wrote this. You have in mind that the contractor will come in and make just slight modifications. We don't want anything done except the most cosmetic of improvements. But no. Instead, this ambitious builder begins knocking out entire walls, tearing up the floors, blowing up the foundation, reducing the chimney to rubble. What on earth is he up to? C.S. Lewis says, the answer is that Jesus is building for himself a brand new house. A place he wants to come in and live in himself. He wants to be Emmanuel, which means God with us. He wants to be Emmanuel within your soul. Deconstruction without reconstruction brings devastation. We're all in this deconstruction and reconstruction process as disciples in Jesus. 
But there is definitely a, a trend in our culture to just deconstruct everything. So I think it's important at the very outset of this semester for some of you at the outset of your college career to say that deconstruction without reconstruction leads to devastation. Our youngest son is named Justin. He turns 18 in a couple of weeks. And uh, we, we got him when he was 10 months old. He li almost literally showed up on our doorstep. And he, is, uh, he, he hates school, but he's so mechanical. So he's he has an apprenticeship right now where he is at a mechanic shop. And I'm so grateful for that because he has always loved to take things apart, but he can never put them back together. And so now I'm hoping that he has that skill in his wheelhouse because our, our, our garage was just filled with his projects all the while he was growing up where he would dismantle every toy he owned, take it apart in his bike, in our lawnmower, you know? But nothing ever got put back together because deconstruction without reconstruction equals devastation. So what does reconstruction look like? What is this process of sanctification, of discipleship, of reconstruction that Jesus is doing, this renovation of the heart? Some questions for us. What are you building your life on? Remember that story? If you grew up around church, when you, you probably heard the story of the wise man and the foolish man, and they both built a house, and the wise man built his house on the what? On the rock, yeah, and the, the rains came down, the floods came up, and that house did firm, right? But the foolish man, he built his house on the what? Sand, yeah, and the, the, the floods came, and the storms came, and beat against the house, and the house was destroyed because the foundation was built on something that was not structurally viable. Here's Paul's take in 1 Corinthians. If you have a Bible, if you want to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible, um, each, each week we'll have some Bibles out in the hallway, so feel free to pick one up. If you don't own one, feel free to steal one. We'd love that. Um, if you want to get on your phone, uh, there's an awesome app called YouVersion where you can uh, have Bible daily readings. And yeah, yeah. Um, so 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Paul is talking to the Corinthian church about this building, this, this renovation project. Verse 9 says, you are God's building. Say, we are God's building. Yes, you are. Glad you said that. But each one should be careful how he builds. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. No other foundation. There's, there's nothing else of substance. There's nothing that you can possibly build your life on and expect it to hold up other than the foundation of Christ. Ken talked about community groups, and community groups are, are going to be going through the book of Colossians together, which is this amazing short letter that Paul wrote. Colossians 1 says that Jesus is before all things, that in him all things hold together. Colossians 2 says Paul is encouraging the believers to continue to live in Jesus, to be built up in him. In the book of Hebrews, the writer is talking about this building process and that the supremacy 
that Jesus has the supremacy over everything. And so, so if you read through Hebrews, it says Jesus is the better sacrificial system. Jesus is the better temple. Jesus is the better Moses. And this is chapter 3. Fix your thoughts on Jesus. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Say, God is the builder of everything. Yeah. People in the chair closet, say, God is the builder of everything. Yeah, a little bit louder because these guys couldn't hear you. Yeah, he is. People in the gray room say God is the builder of everything. People in the lobby say God is the builder of everything. Yeah. We are one church in four locations, all in the same building. It's fantastic. God is the builder of everything. It says, Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, bearing witness to what should be spoken, would be spoken by God in the future. But Christ is faithful as the son over God's house, and we are his house, Jesus over us, if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence in the hope in which we glory. We hold deeply and firmly to the confidence and the hope in which we glory. What's your foundation? What are you building on? Is there confidence in your foundation? If we're honest, if we're building on our own foundation, if we're building on our own self-confidence, if we're building on our own self-achievement, our own trophies, we know (laughs) that that's not a solid foundation, right? And the storms come. But if Jesus is the foundation, even when the storms come, we have confidence that Hebrews says, all that can be shaken will be shaken, but all that cannot be shaken will remain. Hurricane Katrina went through And uh, about three weeks after that, we took a group of a bunch of students down to Biloxi, Mississippi. And we spent a week, it was over fall break actually, just uh, going from house to house and helping out with whatever was needed. And some of the houses were were completely devastated. And those houses uh, usually had, in spray paint on the outside, demolish. But there were other houses that Um, the water had risen inside the house. And everywhere that the water had touched, everywhere that the floods had touched, it it was moldy, even after three weeks. And so we ripped off drywall and ripped up floors and took out carpet and took out furniture. Everything that had been touched by the muck, we removed. We took everything back to the studs and everything back to the foundation. Because if it was a a solid foundation, then the renovation could begin. And it's the same way 
with us? What are we building on in a world where people's lives are caving in around them? To know that there is a foundation that is the same yesterday, today, and forever, that absolute truth is not a catchphrase, but is actually encapsulated in the person of Jesus. That's good news. This foundation gives solid footing for our questions and our doubts and our trials. Everything that could possibly deconstruct our faith, if we have this foundation of Jesus, if we are secure in our relationship with him, then when the trial hits, we're not destroyed. When the questions come, because inevitably the questions will come. And for a lot of us, they already have, right? Then church becomes a safe place to actually ask those questions. It's like we are not those, Hebrews says, who are shaken. (laughs) Because we know our confidence is in Jesus. And so the question is, do you have the foundation right? Are you a follower of Jesus? Have you experienced his grace in a way that is transforming your life? Have you acknowledged your sin and repented of it? Have you asked God for his forgiveness? Have you given him full rights to this renovation project of your heart? Next question is this. How are you building your life? What what kind of construction materials are you using 1 Corinthians 3, Paul says that people are building with a variety of materials, but each, each material will be shown for what, it's, for what it is, if it's a value or not. What are we using to build our lives with? What are the methods that we're using for building? Are, are we cutting every corner imaginable? Or are we building with character and with integrity Are we building on our own expertise or are we relying on the Holy Spirit to actually set the pace? What are we building on? How are we building? Be careful how we build, Paul says. And then this question, who are you building your life for? Who's it for? This life that you're building in your three, four, 17 years at Purdue. Haggai chapter 2. I don't know if you've ever heard of Haggai, but that's a book in the Old Testament. And he was a prophet that prophesied um, during the time that the Israelites were in, had just returned from capt- captivity. Okay, So a uh, little history. Um, Israelites were taken into captivity because of their disobedience to God. And Babylon took them off to Babylon. And, and then Persia invaded Babylon and said, we'll take those. Thank you. And, uh, and then the Persian king said, why don't you return to Israel? Rebuild the city of Jerusalem. Rebuild the temple. And so they did. So the book of Nehemiah is about rebuilding the wall. And the book of Ezra is about um, rediscovering the word of God. But Haggai, God sent Haggai to prophesy to the people because 18 years had gone by 
and they hadn't touched the temple. And so God speaks through this prophet, and he says, what's up? He said, 18 years, you have built for yourselves awesome houses, fine paneling on the walls, but my house lies in ruin. 18 years. You have lived for yourself instead of my glory. You've been about your own house instead of my house. And then he says this. He says, and here's the deal. That has brought absolutely no satisfaction to your heart. You know, your, your crops don't really flourish. There's a, there's a dissatisfaction in your, in your heart and in your mind that even though your, your house looks nice, there's no substance to it because your priority is yourself instead of me. So he's saying, come back and build my house. Make my kingdom, God says, your priority. And then John Piper says, when God is most glorified, we are most satisfied. And I don't know if you've experienced enough of life to, to know that yet. But if we are pursuing our own satisfaction and building our own house, it is just this empty pursuit that never satisfies. When, when Jesus fills our periphery and we see more and more that life is about him, that brings this deep satisfaction. That brings a deep contentment. That brings a, an awesome intentionality and a purpose to your life. So that's, that's God's word to the people in Haggai chapters 1 and 2. And I think it's the same word to us. Are we building for the glory of Jesus or are we building for our own trophy case, our own resume? That's renovation of the heart. The other part of the theme is renovation of the house. This part's much shorter. Thank you. Renovation of the house. Ephesians is a book in the New Testament. It's another letter that Paul wrote to a church in Ephesus. And in that book, he's talking about the church. He says Christ is the one that puts... All of these individuals together and calls it church. But he calls each of you living stones. So he's building this house with living stones because Jesus is the ultimate living stone and he's the cornerstone. Everything gets built off of him, he's our reference, right? So God is reframing, Jesus is reframing your heart, but he's also reframing his collective house. Paul says this, Ephesians chapter 2, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. From Jesus, the whole body, all y'all, as they say where I'm from, 
joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. This is such a cool picture of why we get together. It's, there's no such thing as an independent Christian. I don't need church. I don't want church. I just, it's just Jesus and me. And Jesus says, well, Jesus and me means Jesus and us. We are part of the body of Christ, right? How many of you uh, are new to Campus House today? Wow. It's awesome. Really, really glad you're here. I need to tell you that these next three years are kind of unprecedented for our 53-year history as a ministry. This ministry started with six students back in the 60s. And it's grown a bit over the years. And um, in April, this building was built like 1970, 71. In April, this building will be deconstructed, a.k.a. blown up. Not literally, but uh, it's kind of iconic to say that the mushroom will explode, right? And so um, this building will will come down and construction will start on the new space, which will have space so that you all and you all and you all can all sit in the room, which will be awesome. And then, so at the end of this school year, for the next year and some change, we'll be worshiping at Fowler Hall. So April 19th will be our last Sunday in here. And then we'll go to Fowler Hall for the next 14, 15 months. And then August of 2020 will be in the new space, which will look something like this, hopefully. Ooh, it's shiny. <laughs> so as we, as we talk about, and we've been in this for a while, we've been raising money and we've been designing it and all of that. As we've been talking about designing the, the new brick and mortar, we really feel like God is, is uh, calling us to reframe how we think about the actual house, which is not a building. It is you. It is us. It's the body of Christ. Again, back to Biloxi. We would muck out houses during the day, and then we would go uh, we slept on a football field, and it was like really lush grass, you know? So Ken was talking about this morning, we would just take our shoes off at the end of the day and just, just kind of walk in this really green, really lush grass. And then about day four, someone said, you know why it's so green, right? It's because all of the sewage from the hurricane... <laughs> Yeah, that was gross. But in, in the middle of this football field was this giant Red Cross tent. And every night, uh, there would be a gathering of Christians from around the city at this tent. And they gathered there because their churches had been destroyed, their church buildings. And one night, this pastor gets up and he says, you know, I, the ironic thing is that we've been praying for years to be a collective church without walls. 
didn't really want our buildings destroyed, but how cool is it that we are unified around the name of Jesus in a church without walls? And that phrase has always stuck with me. A church without walls. What would it look like for us to be a church without walls? And so next year, we're literally going to be a church without walls. This year, can we practice that? Can we practice being on mission? Can we practice taking church outside of Sunday mornings into every part of what we do? We've actually had this thing called a line on Thursday nights for 25 years, and we blew that up this year because we realized that we are so busy doing church stuff that we don't have time to actually be church. So as a way of demonstrating that, it's like, let's take this Thursday equipping time away in order to free us up to actually be church. Let me show you a little bit of what that looks like. It's intentional with how you live. It's intentional with how you serve. It is praying for people. It is living in a way that is inclusive and unified. It is practicing over these next nine or ten months what it looks like to be a church without walls so that when we literally are a church without walls, we will continue to bear witness to the love of Christ in every corner of campus. So church doesn't become this, this Sunday bubble where we come and we, we sing the, the songs and we do the deal and we take communion, but then we go live like life how we want it. It's like we are on mission together. So that when we literally have framed walls again in a couple of years, we have a continued vision to be able to gather this time, everybody in the same room, so that we can go be church together. First Peter, like living stones, you're being built into a spiritual house. So some framing questions for us. How is he building, can you put these up? How is he building us together to proclaim the gospel, the good news of his saving grace to this campus community? How can we be intentional about loving and serving people in a way that reflects Jesus? As we read through this, this isn't just questions for us as a church. This is questions for you, all right? How are we at the geographical center of campus, poised to be an outpost of Christ's kingdom where people find salvation and freedom from sin, gentleness and compassionate care with their stories and questions, where they experience grace and truth and are equipped and sent out to live the way of Jesus in every corner of the world. That's our vision. How might Jesus be reframing his house as we gather and worship and serve and learn and grow and experience the power in the presence of Jesus together? Those are framing questions for reframing this house. So let's land this. Sunday is not about the user experience. It is about experiencing the power and the presence of God, encountering him through his word and moving of his spirit. So this is not 
come to the house of God and then leave the house of God to be about your regularly scheduled life. It's not what it's about. Rather, it's we gather as the house of God, and then we go be the house of God, realizing that Jesus is your life. It's not coming to Campus House to be with Jesus for an hour and then leaving Jesus at the mushroom, you know, see you next week. <laughs> because you'd be really bored in my classes and you'd be really annoyed by my friends. And so, so uh, we'll pick up where we left off next week, Jesus. No, it's walking into campus house with Jesus. After spending every moment with Jesus. Who happens to be the author of any ology that you are studying, by the way? He's not bored. It's his idea. This Jesus who not only loves your friends, but actually died for your friends. Who is flooding each moment with grace and reframing each moment with truth and wants to blow your mind every single day. And when walking back into the mushroom on Sunday or Fowler Hall next year, or if you're a freshman or sophomore, then that other building the year after, as you gather with the rest of us broken people who are being renovated by Jesus, you are reminded each week that he is awesome. We gather to glorify Jesus. We gather to be encouraged and to have passion renewed and to be immersed in the word of God and to be reminded that his grace is sufficient and to pray and to be prayed for and to find freedom from sin and to find freedom from from having to think we have to pretend all the time and to be exposed to God's heart and to God's love and his justice and then to intentionally reflect Jesus, being distinctive in your res hall and your Greek house and your co-op in your class with your family, reflecting Jesus to your neighbors, reflecting Jesus across the hall, across the world, in your athletic teams, to, to think about your major and your vocation and your work through the reality of Jesus and his kingdom rule in this renovation project that affects everything in your life. So we gather as the church to be the church. How is God reframing your heart how does he want to reframe the house? What is this renovation project? What are you building your life on? What are you building your life with? What are you building your life for? Can we take these questions and let them frame these next few months? I want to pray for us, and we're going to sing one more song together. Can we stand up? And I, I 
want to in, invite us just into a, a posture of prayer. There are lots of postures of prayer. In Scripture, some people, they, they stood to pray. Some people kneeled to pray. Some people uh, got on their faces on the ground to pray. Um, but there was also this open-handedness to pray. And so I'm going to in, invite you because that, that's, this is a, a visual representation of what's going on in your heart. And so if it's just a, a matter of Jesus, would you open my heart up to this renovation that you want to do? Would you open me up to what you, how, how you want to move in my life? And it, it's the posture of I'm in control to I'm absolutely not in control. This is a posture of faith. So it's a bit scary because you don't know exactly how that's going to go. Because it's entering into the wide expanse of Jesus and his kingdom. Jesus says, I'm going to take your hand. I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to renovate your heart because I love you. And then together, let's, let's renovate this world. So I'm going to pray over us. And if you want to just open your hand up as I pray as a, a visual way of receiving. If not, that's cool. Jesus, this is, this is a posture like the guy that you encountered whose son was in need of healing, and he said, I believe, help me in my unbelief. I, I want to open the door. I want to step through it. I, I want to trust you with my life. I want to trust you with being the foundation that I'm actually building everything on. I want to be there. Would you help me get there, Jesus? This is, this is my opening up my hand and my heart to you today. And all the data, Jesus, is that you and you alone are the only true foundation. All the data is that anything else is going to come short. Anything else is just going to leave me dissatisfied in just this huge void. And, and many of us have experienced that already. And so here we are at the outset of the school year, at the outset of everything that will happen, good and bad and terrific and ugly and beautiful, in everything, in everything. We want to say, Jesus, would you... Would you be Lord of our lives today? Would you be Lord of our lives tomorrow? Would you be Lord of our lives day by day by day by day? Would you renovate us so that we look more and more and more like you, Jesus? That's our prayer. That's our prayer. What are you building your life on? How are you building your life? Who are you building your life for? Who are you building your life with? Can this, can this be 
the resonating prayer of us together, a life built on Jesus in the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit for the glory of Christ and his kingdom as we move in mission with one another. That's the answer to all of those questions.